Hey, just wanted to do a quick update on everything since things have gotten real spooky outside with COVID-19 and all that. Hopefully everything is fine with you and yours and you're practicing safe social distancing for the good of yourself and everyone else. I've had a few questions about setting up some kind of payment option for Goddessy, and I really appreciate the sentiment there. And I am weighing options between Patreon and Coffee. Is it Coffee, Ko-Fi, how do you pronounce that thing? By episode four, I'll have an answer, and I'm leaning to early access episodes on Patreon a whole week early, but we'll see. It'll be announced on social media before we get there. Thanks for the encouragement and keep sending those to me, please. Also, feel free to leave reviews on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast service you use. The more reviews, the better off we'll be. Thanks. Now, where were we? Lu, son of Kian of the Tuatha Dé Danann, has discovered his destiny to defeat Bala of the Evil Eye, his monstrous grandfather, and lead his people to rule Ireland. But in so doing, he has discovered he must learn many skills, all of them, in fact, an impossible task for one lifetime. Discovering that he is protected by a fairy woman, before he can escape the fear bulb whom he fosters with, he was taken prisoner, along with his uncle Gavita. But the Tuatha Dé Danann have declared war on the fear bulb. Welcome to Goddessy. Episode 3, Trial by Stone. Irritation was the word that came the closest to defining bondage for Lou. The sons of Yakud were cruel to him, but their mother was ever-present, preventing any real harm from befalling him. Except when he gave them lip, that was most often met with physical reminder of his place. His mouth ached at each reminder, and despite the pain, he learned no lesson. So by the queen's command, the princelings did not speak to Lu, so Lu did not give them lip. His uncle Gavita had fared better. He answered questions given to him, gave information asked of him, and was agreeable, even working at times, to make the spears better, the swords sharper. Lu was never unbound, but Gavita was. The court of Yakid was on the move. In the morn, at a field near the Tuathididanan's home, Lou had learned, the two factions would meet for the fate of Ireland. The Fearbulb, masters of most of the land, had the larger forests of the two, but their chiefs were unorganized. Lou had seen them bickering in the last few days, had seen Yakit almost drive his spear into one or two of them. By the words of the Queen alone were they all here. The way they talked about the Tuatha Dé Danann, he thought they were marching to face giants, to face gods. But though the coming battle hung in the air like the morning's mist as they marched, Lu's thoughts fell to the words of Talchu and Gavita. Of the coming of his people, of his father and mother, of the giant Balor, his grandfather. If he was to have a great destiny in all this, to lead the Tuatha Dé Danann to freedom, why was he, a mere boy, prisoner of the Fearbold? Why was he a bargaining piece, who had never met his father, who had been sent away? If this was to protect him, it was a grand failure. There came a sound, not unlike a horn, yet with the beauty of a harp to it. It echoed across the landscape, and Lou knew in a moment it came not from the Fearbulg scouts sent ahead to spy. There was much yelling, and the Fearbulg stopped their march, instead arming themselves. Yakid, tall and blonde and wild-eyed, looked around, almost certain there was a force upon him already. There was nothing. In the green fields of Connick, marked by pockets of dark trees and small hills, there was little that could hide a sizable force. 
Lou could see that plainly, yet the paranoia of King Yakid was strong, a toxic brew that held him fast. Another strumming of the harp-like sound, and cries came from the north. They approach! King Nuada approaches! He comes to offer peace! Lou felt a sudden warmth in his heart. The king was coming. Nuada was a just man, growing old but wise, strong in arm and valor. Kavita and the queen had both told him many tales of Nuada's dealings with the people of Lachlan, of his keen negotiations with the Fearbolg to be allowed to settle in Connick. Nuada was a hero to Fearbolg and the children of Danu alike. And now, Lou would meet him at last. Slowly, surely, there came a parting of Fearbolg soldiers, and Lou could see why. In the heart of the cohort was a banner, a tall one, of three white horses against an emerald tapestry. Beside it was the tallest man Lou had ever seen. A bald man, his brown beard unkept, looking something not unlike a troll, as his uncle Gavita had often called it, crooked teeth visible in his smiling mouth. Dressed in what looked like a white sack upon which was a brown vest, he played a golden harp of such perfect design Lou thought he would cry. Each harp string sang like a chorus, a calming and kind thing that put all souls at ease. It was a contrast to the man who wielded it, monstrously dirty and ugly that he was. When the cohort arrived at last in sight of the royal entourage, Lou found himself impressed. Only three had come, three men, beneath the emerald banner of the Tuatha Dé Danann. There was the giant, whose ill-fitting clothes failed to hide his untidy belly, hung over an overtight belt. At his side was a cauldron, hooked to that belt, which seemed to contain food, and beside that a club that looked made of stone, the handle of which had a face on it, screaming. Opposite of him was another man, tall but not quite as large, made of muscles, a hardening gaze upon him. Tattoos ran upon his naked arms and chest, and he wore a kind of green and blue patterned skirt. His eyes were fierce, and he carried no weapon, only the banner. In the center, beneath both figures, was the king. Nuada's hair once had been the color of straw, yet now it looked more of silver. His brow was rigid, his jaw a thing of chiseled stone with a fierce stubble upon it. Only his mustache remained of his facial hair, drawn in braids at the corners of his mouth like the hair on the back of his head. He wore a full tunic and silver skirt. At his side was a sword of silver, unlike any Lu had seen before. For all the weapons Gavita had made the Fearbolg were made of bronze. Looking at him now, Lu did not find Nuwada impressive, but looks were deceiving, that he knew. The king spoke. I welcome you to Connick, King Yakid, and I bow to you. He did so, placing left leg behind right and moving with such grace. There came a snickering from the sons of Yakid, but their mother shushed them. We've no time for idle chatter, King Nuwada. You know why I am here. You and your men march to Tara, and I shall not have it. Nuada nodded, then turned his attention to the queen. My lady, you are as fair as the summer day is long on this coming solstice. His foster mother smiled. Better you talk than your druid, King Nuada, lest you have me under your spell. I see you have brought him. Nuada looked to the giant, a full man's length taller than he. Aye, the Dagda's here, for he can explain why we march. And you are here to understand the sacred mission we embark upon. Yakid interjected. What is sacred about betraying our agreement and marching on allies? And who is this muscled man you have as your bannerman? 
The muscled bannerman, as he was called, almost spoke up, but Nawada raised a hand. He is Ogma, my champion and our finest warrior. He is the diviner of our writing script, Ogum, and my master strategist. And he, with the Dagda, have a plan that you would like to hear. If you'll allow my druid to speak. Lou did not understand. Looking at the Dagda, that sloppy giant of a man, how could he be a druid? The druids were said to be the wisest of the Tawatha Nidanan, men and women of great knowledge of the natural world. They knew the stars by name and their journeys through the sky. They knew the seasons by the leaves, and which trees meant what in prophecy and power. They were masters of history and knowledge, and could divine the future. The Dagda, it was said, was the wisest druid who had ever walked the earth. And this was him? This mess of hair and flesh, barely contained by clothes and the dirt he wore so proudly? He may speak, if his words are true. My queen will counteract any cunning you devise. The giant laughed, nodding. I would not dare cross Taltu in a battle of wits, your majesty. But where to begin? At the beginning, I should think. At the four cities. Recall, if you will, our four sacred relics. My cauldron of plenty, which he indicated at his side, which I will part with at this moment that we may think and feast together. He took the cauldron from his belt and walked it to one of Yawkid's guards, who pulled from it a whole chicken, cooked and spiced. The army began to gasp and passed more and more food among them, all coming from the cauldron. A well-fed army is the sign of a fine king, Yawkid, and among your people, you are the finest. Yet the discord among your leaders threatens us all. Your chiefs, all present, all loyal, are ready to fight. Why fight? Because you invade, you whimpering dolt! cried Yakid, embittered. The soldiers stopped their feasting to see and to listen, but only for a moment. We do, but the cauldron is not the only artifact we brought from Lachlan, for the Stone of Fall is here with us. It is said that it will sing in the presence of the true king and will enshrine him as the king upon the hill of Tara. King Nuada has been a wise and just ruler, and the stone spoke to us not one week before. We carry it with us, and it is with our army in the care of my sons. We will take it to Tara and take possession of Ireland. Yakid stood. You will do no such thing, you blathering slob. I am the High King of Ireland. And yet we suffer. Why? You sow discord with your tone, though you are just and fair. Your chiefs make alliances with the Fomorians, selling off your cattle, selling your own children to those monsters. Ask them. They will not deny it. The chiefs beside the king began to speak, begging Yakid's pardon. Some even began to deny it, but changed their tune quickly. There was something going on here. The queen's face wore a smile. She was allowing it, whatever it was. Yes, that was it. In the honeyed words of the Dagda, there was magic. It was truth-speaking, and the idiot Fearbulg were none the wiser, save their queen. Disloyalty I will deal with later. It does not erase the fact that you seek my throne. We seek dominion of Ireland, which is our right, for the sovereign queen goddesses have entreated us to free Ireland from the yoke of the Fomorians, which you will not. We share a common ancestor with them, the goddess Danu, from our ancestral homeland in the east, a land of rivers and hills and stone circles. Wanderers we have been, marching until we find our home, and here we are. Though we march to Tara, we need not be enemies. Yakid, you are just, wise, and strong. You are intelligent. Your men are loyal if your chiefs are not, and your sons, under your guidance and discipline, will become great leaders of men. But not if you deny destiny. 
King Nuara has terms. Accept them, and you will stand with us at the final battle against Balor and his Fomorians. Nuara stepped forward to speak, but Yakit already drew his spear from his champion, Sring. You call me intelligent, yet think me a fool to hear any more of this? Your druid disrespects Nuada. Reel him in, or I will have his head. King Nuada shook his head. The Dagda speaks true, Yakid. Treat with me. I will give you Konik as you gifted it once to us. Its land is rich and fair, and you can teach us to farm, a skill we sorely lack. But I will have Tara. I must sit upon the throne for the threat of the Fomorians to be defeated. This is not merely a hope. It is the words of the Phantom Queen. Silence fell over the camp. No one moved. No one spoke. Even the Queen's face fell pale, her mouth open. It was she who spoke next. The Morrigan decreed this? The Dagda, grim and sullen, seemed suddenly worthy of his faculties. I told you. I sought prophecy from her, and at Beltane she gave it. Nuada must rule over Ireland as its true king, and the Stone of Fall be in its place at Tara. If this does not come to pass, the island will long be ruled by the monstrous giants from the sea. The Fomorians will remain dominant for all the days of this world, unless Nuada sit upon the throne at Tara, a whole king, and his true champion stand fast beside him. Lu did not fully understand that, but felt the eyes of the tattooed warrior Ogma upon him. Bright eyes looked away, never speaking a word, but speaking loudly. Whatever they said, Lu was not yet old enough to understand, but they did not mean anything good. Am I to peaceably go along with this? My people will teach you to farm, will give up their lands, bought with their blood. My chiefs will willfully allow this. My sons will give up their princely destinies that your silver-tongued king and his giant druid fulfill the flattering words of a mad woman covered in raven feathers. Women, the queen corrected. Yaka did not hear her. You expect me to give up all I fought for because of a prophecy you choose to reveal now over a whole moon's passing since Beltane? Lou thought him reasonable in his anguish. Nuwada asked too much. No, King Nuwada, we will not have this. We will have battle, or you will return to Lachlan, for I will wipe you and your ilk from the face of this island. You will not even be an aside in the recounting of the great bard's histories. Nuwada sighed. I will march to Tara, King Yakid. It is placed upon me by destiny and not by will. If you will not allow this, then we must avoid bloodshed other ways. What do you suggest, then? A contest, of stones, of singing battle, that whoever should win will have all of Ireland. Yakid grinned. Games were popular among the Fearborn. When they did not work and did not fight to the death, they threw stones. They played games of chance. They threw logs and all manner of games of strength and strategy. Lou had never been fond of them, but had mastered more than his fair share. The Fearbolg would not play with him now. They ignored him, as they ignored him now. A trial by stone. I like the odds. I shall throw stones. Who is your champion? Ogma, my bannerman. He is our best man for the game. He looks good, but I am stronger. Yet why only one game? Let us make it three, King Nuwada, and the best of two shall take it all. A game of wordplay. The Dagda, our champion. And yours? Yakid looked around. None of his chiefs would look back, for fear of facing the Dagda as much as anything. 
He sighed. My wife, then. The queen stepped forward, arms crossed. I would be happy to, husband. Yorkid grinned like a wolf. And the third game, King Yorkid, you choose. Oh, I have. Sring, my champion, will face a champion of your choosing in single combat. To the blood, since we are so concerned with saving lives. Lou gasped. String was unbeatable in combat. It was a trap. Nuada nodded. So we are. I will face String myself. No! Lou cried out, standing up on the spot. The ropes around his wrist were pulled. He fell back at the feet of the sons of Yakid, each laughing, each giving him a kick to bring him to heel. And who is this, Yakid? There was a timber to Nuwada's voice, as if he were asking the question as only a courtesy. You know who the lad is, Nuwada. He is yours and our prisoner. Nuwada nodded, slowly taking Lu in. Yes, he is mine. And you would be wise to have no harm fall upon him, even at the hands of your own sons, Yakid. If the boy is blemished, so too shall our peace be. Then no harm shall befall the boy. Now return to your camp. We meet in the fields near Lu Korib, near the pass of Balgatan. A fine place for a trial by stone. We shall see you there, King Yakid, at first light. And like that, Nuada, the Dagda, and Ogma returned, heading back to their camp. Far enough out of sight, the scent of Yakid kicked him again. King Nuada's boy, if we'd known that, we would have kicked your teeth in a long time ago. Boys! roared Yakid, standing, spear in hand. Boys, we are men of our word, and our word is strong. Another kick to lose head, and I'll put this spear in your gullet, son of mine or no. He turned back to his wife. Take your whelp and keep him safe. After the trials tomorrow, I shall see him dead. There came a cry from among the troops, and Taltu came forth, removing the ropes from Lu and helping him up. Kavita received no such treatment, led away to the smithy. Come fast, lad, we don't have much time. The tents were pitched quickly, and once in the queen's tent, a thing of red and yellow and smelling of foreign herbs he could not name. She brought him in, and with a basin washed his wrists, where lesions had formed. She washed them, stinging as they were. They won't let you live the night, boy, you know that. You're a clever boy, and you have your story from Gavita by now. He has told it all to you? Told it true? I I think so, he said, almost certain his uncle had been true. He told me of my birth, my mother and father, and how I was saved from the bay. And you know that B-Dog is with you, until called away? He nodded, almost certain he could feel someone behind him. He had not seen her since that night, and speaking to her was as effective as speaking to the wind. Then you need to flee this place. When the Phantom Queen speaks, destiny beckons. I will not stand before her mind, no matter the cost to my people. My sons are cruel. My husband is foolhardy. My people are lost. Yakin is adult for not taking the peace while he had the chance. And when he is beaten, he will not give Ireland freely. She will find him tomorrow. And this will end. But for you? For you to survive, Lou, my precious boy, you must run. I cannot conceal you with my magic. I can only give you advice. Run, fast and hard, and do not look back. When the time is right, Birog will take you, and you will be safe. She hugged him, tight and hard, a warmth in her face. Tears, Lou realized. 
He had them too. Do I wait? She shook her head. Can I ask a question? Only if it be not a foolish one. You've no time. I am not Nawada's boy, am I? She nodded, swallowing. Aye, you are Kian's son. But to everyone here, you are Nawada's son, taken prisoner for the peace. You have been raised these ten years and protected by my hand. Today, my protection runs out. Now you run too, or my protection will be for naught. She grabbed a spear near her bed, lifting the back of the tent, and shoved him through the hole before he could protest with a free hand. And then he was alone. Her tent rested at the north end, at the edge of the Fearbolt camp. Lou ran as fast as he could to a nearby thicket, tall trees growing, where he would rest for a moment and collect his thoughts, panic filling them. He had to run, but where? Where was safe? Should he double back the Tawatha Didan in camp? He sat, rested, and tried not to cry. He was in danger. Why was he not running? Who cared where? He should run. The lights in the trees changed, panic leaving Lou for reason. He must circle back, for no fear bulb would take him. Only his own people would be willing to take care of him. He feared for Gavita, but he was safe. Only he could make spears to match the Fomorians. There was no reason to worry. It was not long after that when a horn rang out among the hills. They had realized she had let him loose. Voices carried, and Lou knew he could not run so wildly now. They would find him. Yet staying here as he was, he would die. He knew Sring was a great hunter, that the sons of Yakid and their hounds would be upon him soon. He fled the thicket of woods, running over the flat field towards the nearby locks. Hounds bayed. Soon there came a sound of voices, young voices, laughing voices. Cruel voices Lou knew all too well. Another voice rang out, this one clear to him. It was the voice of Sring. No harm is to come to him! Remember your father's words! They did not, he knew. But the sons of Yakid were upon him, and they did not have the mind on peace. Lou felt his stomach rise in his chest, and ran with all his heart. The green field was large, a wide thing covered in gray fences of stone. Lou leaped as he could over each, not quite tall enough for most. The sons of Yakid, each holding a bronze spear and shield, chased him. At times, one would throw his spear, only to miss Lou. The next would be closer, and then the next, and then the next. Lou zigged. They followed. He zagged. Still they followed. No trees could protect him. No foxhole or creek could hide him. He ran, his heart beating like a horse's gallop, his breathing like a dragon. His face was warm with fear and wet too. What had Taltu said? That Birog would take him when the time was right? What did that mean? What did he have to do? Birog? Birog, help! Help me! There was nothing. He ran, ran as fast as he could run. Crossing a hill, he came across a standing stone, freely there, marking the road. The Neil, a local guide, had called the place. Yet it was no safer. How could he run, though? Where could he run to? The sons of Yakid were coming. We're gonna get you, little kingling. Wrap you in your little innards. Kick in those teeth. Lou hit the standing stove hard, holding himself up as he fought exhaustion, fought the bile building in his stomach. Every muscle ached. Every breath was labored. Everything was over. 
he was going to die. There he is. Little lost Lou with no one to protect you. No mother's teeth to suckle. Nowhere to hide. Sweet little Lou. I'm looking forward to seeing the lights leave your eyes. Little fairy lights. Each son walked now, spear in hand, spear raised, prepared to throw. Each was a master at their trade, and their trade was killing. Somewhere behind, String cried out, chasing the boys. Honorable String, more a worthy heir of Yawket than any of these boys. String could not save him. The eldest son made a final demand. Aim true, you horses' asses. You only get one shot. Each reared back and threw their spear. Closing his eyes, Lou felt the rush come over him as if rising. His stomach and his feet as he screamed out, the air becoming cooler, cooler, as cool as he could handle. The scream ran out of him, the breath so short here. He opened his eyes. He was flying. Looking back, he sailed through the sky at a rapid pace, something beneath him carrying him like a horse. Looking, he saw a creature made of mist with the head and hair he had seen that night. Birog had come for him. Birog? Birog, where are we going? Hush, child. Where are you taking me? Across the sea to your father. Across? My father isn't across the sea. Birog! Birog, go back! She did not, and Lou refused to try and steer her. There was nothing for it. Below, he saw the camp of the Fearbog fade away, saw the edge of Lu Korib, where the small Tuatadidanan camp rested. Soon, they were on the other side of the Lu, over hills and mountains and roads. Villages came and went, forests looked larger from above, and soon, for the first time in his life, he saw the coast of the island, an orange thing as the sun set. They headed west over the water, past the islands, where a billowing cloud hung at the edge of the horizon. Lou's eyes wept themselves dry looking at it. It was unnatural. It was not real. And in his heart, he knew he was not going to see his father. Goddessy is written, researched, and produced by Greg Wright. Editing and additional writing by Sydney Yeager, queen of her domain. Music by Scott Buckley. Additional sounds by Webfilm UK, Inspector J, and Tim Kahn. Special thanks to Andrew Gurevich and Kaylee Yeager. Goddessy is on social media. Check us out at The Goddessy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Like what you heard? Leave a review on your podcasting service, tell a friend, and send your enemy a strange encoded message mailed by Carrier Pigeon. Goddessy is back next week. See you then.